<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hello, everyone. You are listening to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and this is episode 111. And we are once again back on track talking all things women's health. And my guest today is Megan Gross. She is a mom of three, a certified nurse midwife, and she is talking about ways to be kinder to yourself in your health and her goals as a certified nurse midwife in helping you get better health care. She believes that you as a woman are worth more than a 15-minute appointment. And so she specializes in things like hormone balancing and fertility health. We talk a little libido action. She talks about her own experience with prenatal depression and how that actually helped her name her third child. It's a very cool story. So we kind of cover all sorts of broad topics. There's something in here for everyone. So please welcome my guest, Megan. So Megan, here's where I want to begin. You are the mom of three and your kids are Oliver, Owen, and Onyx. Yeah. And I feel like there's got to be stories with those names because they're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yes. So my son, we named like the day that we got the positive pregnancy test. We had the names picked out. Um, And we just both really like the name Oliver, but also my father-in-law and grandfather-in-law owned a farm equipment dealership that sold Oliver tractors. So that was like a little happy nod to that. Yeah. And then when I was pregnant with Owen, she's a girl. We had trouble agreeing on girls' names and my husband had really terrible suggestions and he didn't like my suggestions. And then I was like, you know what? We love the name Owen, but it's not like high enough on the list of boy names that start with an O that we would use it for a boy unless we had like seven boys and like (laughs) that wasn't going to happen. So I was like, I feel like we could use Owen for a girl and it would be really cute. That's how she got her name. And then my son was three at the time when I was pregnant with her and he said, baby sister Owen. And I was like, oh my gosh, my heart just shattered. I was like, that's it. That's her name. And I think it's a good little fit for her. And then Onyx, that's a big long story because I had terrible prenatal depression with her. She was a surprise. And so I was like trying to work on my career and then also coming to terms with the idea of being pregnant and then hormones are crazy. So I was struggling a lot with just accepting that. And then when we found out she was a girl, I was originally going to name her Lola, but then the name meaning of Lola was like sorrow. And that just hit too close to home with the prenatal depression. And I was like, nope, I can't do that to her. So then I was sitting with my sister-in-law and we were just reading through lists of 
O names. We got through all the girls and I was like, eh, some of those, like, I don't want her to be like an opera singer name. Cause like Ophelia just sounded like an opera singer. To me. <laughs> um, and then we, she, we were, I was just reading down the list of all the o, boy O names. Cause at this point we kind of wanted an O already having Oliver and Owen. And I breezed past Onyx and my sister-in-law was like, wait, no, 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 go back. I, I think I like Onyx. And I was like, I don't think I'm cool enough to name my baby Onyx. <laughs> so then I looked up the healing properties of Onyx as like a stone. And it was for like self-actualization and to help with anxiety and depression. And I was like, holy goosebumps. That's it. That's her name. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's how she got her name. Can we dive into this concept of prenatal depression? I feel like that's yeah. something we're not talking about. It's certainly not a new concept, is it? No, no, it's not. But it's not something that I think people talk about because when you're pregnant, like you're supposed to be super excited and preparing for this baby. And like, it's a blessing. I knew it was a blessing, but also it was like, but this, like, but my career, but my kids just got easier. Like, finally we're down to one nap a day with the little one and she's like talking and then it was like oh my gosh we're gonna be thrown back into that again with like millions of naps and yeah and I think that's a common thing and some women don't experience it but then on top of like the life stuff you have all of the hormones and I had terrible morning sickness with her which made it just so hard to be a mom to my other kids like my daughter my second daughter is obsessed with my husband because he basically was like the primary parent for my whole pregnancy with the third, because I just had nothing. Plus the more times you're pregnant, like the more every pregnancy, you're just more uncomfortable. And yeah, it was rough. And I think it's more common and it's just not talked about. So it's something that I try to like scream from the rooftops because I just want people to know like it happens and it's okay. And it doesn't mean you don't love your baby. Like she's my unofficial favorite kid. So <laughs> it's, it'll get better. It's just crappy. How did you identify what you were feeling? Because I remember with postpartum, it felt weird to call it that. And I resisted calling it that. And I just would have rather lived in a land of like, I don't know why I feel so bad. Did you go yeah. through that? So I am a highly anxious person, like extremely. And I've always been able to identify, like I have anxiety. Like I remember when it started and that's just who I am, but depression just was different to me. And I was like, oh, this isn't anxiety. This is like, this is depression. This is dark and yucky. And I just wanted to lay in bed all the time. And when I was pregnant with her, I can't remember how many weeks I was. I like went to the midwife and I was like, I have prenatal depression. I need something. So we agreed on Zoloft because that's like the safest SSRI when you're pregnant. So I start, I took one pill, a half a pill, and I felt like a steaming pile of garbage. So I was like, yep, that's worse. That's like worse than morning sickness. It really, I just felt awful. And they're like, if you can power through two weeks. And I was like, no, I cannot do that for two weeks. So I just, I was like, I'm going to have to figure something else out. So what I ended up doing was at the time I was um, renting office space out of an integrative clinic and they had these amazing um, like injections and IVs. So I would get vitamin B complex injections. And that helped my mood a lot. 
how did you decide to go that route? Like what, what is it about vitamin B? And is this something that like more women need to explore for themselves if they're feeling this way? Any vitamin or mineral deficiencies can affect our moods. And we're learning that more and more. Why did I choose that? Because I'm annoying. And that's like, that's my standard is to try like everything else before I try pharmaceuticals. It was really a Hail Mary to be like, I want Zoloft. Like that was unusual for me. For me, I have celiac disease too. So I have bad intestinal absorption of especially B vitamins. So I just always assume that that's an issue for me. And I initially started them because of the morning sickness and the nausea. And then I noticed there was mood improvement as well. That's how I got there. Since then, I've started using other types of like supplements and amino acids and botanicals and stuff like that to help with mood related issues. But it's a little bit more limited when you're pregnant because of the lack of studies and everything. So did you go on to have a much more enjoyable pregnancy or did that kind of, is that something you fought pretty much the whole time? Um, No, I fought it like the whole time. I I remember like towards the end of my pregnancy. Oh, here's another thing I did as I got a lot of Reiki when I was pregnant. Have you ever gotten Reiki? No, I've heard of it um, by watching Vanderpump rules, but that's it. (laughs) I I didn't know they did it on there. Yeah. (laughs) I love Reiki. And like when you have a Reiki practitioner that you connect with, it's just like, it's the best thing. But like, I would have these like really deep Reiki sessions and she'd be like, Megan, this baby, she just wants you to like accept her. And so it was like a lot of like deep emotional, like shadow work type stuff to get over it. And then by the time, by the time I had her, I was like excited to have her, but so what's a typical Reiki session like? Oh, I don't know what a tip, like, it just depends on what, what, what was your typical session? Like So I would go for, it was Reiki and prenatal massage. She starts at the crown and just goes down and like balances. She doesn't really necessarily even have to touch you. I think she did though. Like, yeah, she did touch me. And then my Reiki practitioner, like she gets like information through her like healing from her guides or whatever. So then we just talk about like what that meant for my life and stuff like that. It was really, yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't know if everything's like that. Um, I like have problem areas in my chakras that are, that come up over and over again. So not like she's a psychic or anything, but was she picking up on stuff that you had not told her or? I mean, she's probably a little psychic, (laughs) this particular person. Yeah. I don't know. Or just like, she could get energy from the baby and she'd be like, the baby wants you to like, the baby knows you're upset at her and wants you to not be that way. So yeah, it was, it's just really interesting. That's super intense. And also like, I don't know, did that like creep you out or was that like, I don't know, accept the feelings, you know? Yeah. I honestly, that was the most helpful thing just hearing like the come to Jesus of like your baby needs you to accept her. It was like, Oh my God, if she's saying that. And she like, I just felt like she could sense that I was resistant to the idea of having another one. Sure. So, I mean, she's not like that now we're best friends now, but, (laughs) but like at the time it was like, okay, Megan, you need to get your shit together and be okay with this. So tell me about the day that she was born then and about seeing Um, her. (laughs) So I 
as a midwife, I've always had like crunchy natural births, but with her, I was, because it was a weird pregnancy. I was like, you know what, if I want an epidural, I'm going to get an epidural. I know I can do this without, but I've done it twice before. I'm not going to suffer through if I'm feeling like I don't want to do it. Like I'm just going to get the epidural. So it was, I chose to get induced for childcare reasons because I had her in November, all of her backup childcare had sick kids. It was just like a flaming dumpster fire disaster. I was like, you know what? I need to just get this over with because my anxiety cannot handle this anymore. So I got induced. I went in, in the morning, I was like maybe one centimeter. I don't even think I was two. So they started me on Pitocin. They're like, we can break your water when you're ready. And I was like, that's going to suck. I know it's going to suck once you break my water. So we're going to hold off. And then I think it was by like 6 p.m. I was only four centimeters and I was like, screw this, break my water. So they broke my water and I had two contractions. I was like, I would like the epidural. And then they were like, they're like, okay, we have to call her. And I was like, wait, she's not at the hospital. So I had to wait 45 minutes for this damn epidural. And I was pretty pissed. (laughs) (laughs) She got there. I got the epidural. I had my first epidural contraction where it was actually like kicked in. And I was like, this is wonderful. They're like, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel good, but you're going to have to check me again now. So I rolled over and 10 minutes later, the baby was out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) But it was worth it. It was like, I don't regret getting the epidural. I could have done it without, but. I feel like it just relaxed everything. And then it was like, okay, go time. I think it's a good message as someone who attends births and attends home births that you can make whatever choice you want for yourself, even if it's not a choice you would have made last pregnancy. Right. And it doesn't make you less of a badass if you get pain medication. That day, maybe you just need it. It's fine. So yes. And then they like handed her up to me. And I was like, okay, she's a little dusky looking. Like I didn't love the coloring. I was like, guys, you should be more concerned here. And they just weren't, in my opinion, concerned enough. So I was like doing the midwife thing and the mom thing, like trying to make sure she was fine, but she was. And then she cried like, you know, they're supposed to. And then she did the most epic pout I've ever seen. And I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is what it's going to be like with this one. And it, she's. She's such a character. She's so funny. Yeah. Meeting her, it was like, oh my gosh, you've always meant to be here. Like, yeah, you belong. I don't know if you feel this, but like I always, before I was done having children, because now I'm done. But before then I was always kind of like, oh, I feel like someone's still just missing from our family. Like we just have someone that's not quite here yet. Okay. And then like getting her, it was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. That's the conclusion, like a very happy conclusion. And she's wonderful. And I was right. They should have suctioned my poor baby because she like puked up fluid for days. Oh, (laughs) I was right about that. But whatever. It turned out fine. I was very happy. It was a wonderful experience. And as a home birth midwife, I loved my hospital births. Going into it, them knowing that I was a midwife, I had a lot more, like I just had a lot of say and then a lot of back knowledge. And they were just kind of like, do what you want. So like my second one, I actually caught her like into my own hands. Yeah. Like Courtney Kardashian style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was born in her bag of water too. It was a very midwifey birth. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It was awesome. I what happens when she comes out in the bag? Well, it breaks like what? Body comes out, but like you okay. can see in the pictures. Cause there was a nurse in there that was taking pictures, like play by play. There's they're very graphic, 
but um you can see like this balloon of like a clear balloon over her head and then you can see her little facial features you can see her nuchal cord around her neck it was so cool and then as her body came out it broke but yeah it was awesome I wouldn't let them break my water that time because I knew it would suck more (laughs) I was like you know what no I'm just gonna do this and everything with her it like labor started naturally so it was fine but yeah that was really cool so how did you get into being a midwife? Like where did that career path start for you? I always knew I wanted to go on after nursing school. And originally I started out with a psych NP program because I love mental health. It's just every woman needs mental health care basically. Well, every human. Sorry, that was loud. That was my hangers in my closet. <laughs> um So I started out a psych MP program when I was pregnant with my first, and then I went through pregnancy with him and had him with a midwife. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that instead. And I just kind of like halted education for 15 months. And then I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to be a midwife. So I went and I interviewed for the midwifery program that I wanted to get into and got in and my son was 18 months when I started. And then I just took that path. It was kind of like a split second decision, probably like in hindsight, but it, it's everything that I would have ever wanted to do because I love working with women and like older teenager girls. I do not prefer to work with men. Um, I don't like working with children or peds or babies even. So I like pigeonholed myself in what I could technically see as a clientele. And then so much of what I do is physical health, but also mental health. I get to do everything that I love and it's perfect. So has it always been like your own business capacity or did you do like work in a center for a while or? Nope. I've always been just on my own. I don't really know why that started. I'm fine with it. I'm kind of stubborn, should we say? So I don't necessarily like following policy, procedure, like bureaucratic rules like that. Like, obviously, I have my own set of policies and procedures, and like, I'm very careful with everything I do. But um, yeah, just having standards that I have to follow that. I don't necessarily agree with. And I know a bunch of midwife friends that struggle with that, that work in hospital settings. And then also something that's super important for me is having enough time to spend with patients to get to know them. And that's not something that's an option in like a hospital setting or a clinic setting even because they have quotas to meet and their appointments are like so short. And I just don't feel like you can get enough covered in that amount of time. We're more complex than a 15 minute appointment. So if someone hired you as a midwife, do you have, like, are you allowed to like attend a birth at a hospital or do you automatically have to be associated with a system? Technically a hospital could give me privileges on my own. (laughs) They don't, Uh. but yeah, like a private practice will have like be granted privileges at a hospital you know, cause I don't have a backup OB and that's, they see it as taking on like, you know, more risk is from a legal setting because I'm not a surgeon or an MD I'm riskier. 
when all I see is low risk clients, like in my home birth practice, I transferred out so many people for like various things that risked them out of my care. Gotcha. Okay. I feel like I wonder if when we come out of this pandemic, allegedly, (laughs) if more people are going to seek out healthcare that feels less rigid or less like following the rules. I think this situation is bringing to light a lot of what people were worried about with healthcare and feeling like they don't, they don't have the freedom to ask the questions they want to ask or to get the answers they want to get either. Like, I think people are opening their eyes and seeing like, wow, this is really one size fits all. And that's not going to work for me. I've already seen such a change in the type of people that come to see me. And it's been so interesting, just like, like socioeconomic and like political backgrounds. It's been very interesting. And my husband has discussed that too. He's like, I would have thought that it would have been like these types of people that would seek you out, but it's actually more so these types of people. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't know if it's always been that way or if it's just because of like the political climate. Like I'm pretty non-judgmental and I'll take people from all walks of life, but I don't bill to insurance. So that can stop some people, especially people who are used to just like, oh, my insurance covers that. So I'll just go see someone else. But the reason why I don't bill to insurance is because I can't practice the way I want to practice and get them to cover it. So then when they don't cover it, what you have to bill to insurance is such a huge amount of money to get the amount of reimbursement back that you deserve. So instead, I'm just like, you know what, if I just charge the amount that I would expect from the insurance company, at the end of the day, it'll be cheaper for everyone. Interesting. Yeah. Insurance is it sucks to work with. I was also dealing with that when I was pregnant with my third child and that oh my gosh, it contributed so much to the depression was just like the daily fights with insurance companies. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. So then I decided after we all emerged after the the two weeks to flatten the curve of that was actually like two months. I was like, you know what? I'm done taking insurance. I'm done doing that. And I had people tell me like, you're not going to get clients. You're just going to go under. And thankfully that hasn't been the case. So if we could, I want to kind of dive into some of like the areas that you've hit on your Instagram, because they're, they're going to feel a little like random, you know, but I want to ask about all these things because I think it's super interesting. And I think they're all going to fall under the header of hormone balancing and, um, you know, that healing that you do. So like your most recent post, for example, you were talking about like cardio and stress levels. And I knew that you would get after that. Cause you love your cycling. I do. I do. And honestly, like I feel better after doing it. That's been a huge part of my stress relief, but like what's, what's happening like physically with the body okay. and all that. First and foremost, cardio is not evil, but some of us, and like, I'll use myself and as, as an example, cause I just ran my hormone panel last month. So I got all these results and I have like hard copy evidence that like my stress levels from 2021 were terrible for me. So my cortisol levels are pretty low. And when you have low cortisol levels, doing more cardio is just increasing your stress load when you don't have any energy left to give. So for me, cardio would not be a good option. Thankfully, I don't feel the need to do it. So it's... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's that's not one of my uh, stressors that I'm encountering. But yes, if you are chronically stressed and your adrenal glands have started to kind of like suffer from that, I call it like flooding an engine. So your pituitary gland receives stress signals from the brain and from the body, both internally and externally. And it reacts accordingly by requesting cortisol from the adrenal glands. But if you are constantly stressed, which I mean, a lot of us as moms are, especially if we're working or even if we're not working, oh my gosh, being home with kids all day is super stressful too. That was the worst two months of my 2020, honestly. (laughs) Um, So just anything causing chronic stress, you're going to flood that engine. The pituitary is going to be like, you know what? No, it's not possible. You can't be this stressed all the time. So it's going to stop requesting that cortisol. And when it does that, it will change the curve that you're supposed to follow every day. So every day your um, cortisol curve is supposed to start out higher in the morning, right? When you get up, you should like be able to bound out of bed and just have lots of energy in the morning. And then it should gently, slowly taper off throughout the day so that by bedtime, you're super low in cortisol and you're tired and you can go to sleep. And that's when your melatonin cycle takes over. Okay. But anything to interrupt that can create like, so for example, I have a flatter curve. Um, I start out kind of lowish and then I just stay super low and under where I should be. Some people will actually have like a spike towards the end of the day. So then they have insomnia problems. So it just kind of depends on where you are in your chronic stress levels, as well as what's going on with your life. So things that cause stress that we don't think about would be consuming caffeine on an empty stomach. Super stressful for your body. Oops, cardio. that today. Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> cut out coffee and I've had a migraine for like a week. It's awful. Um, cardio, getting too hungry and like not having a snack when you need it or letting yourself get hangry. We don't think of that as stressful, but our body perceives it as stress. So sugar crashes, terrible for your cortisol levels. So I'm just trying currently, and this is what I help my patients do too, is to like find little things in my life that I can change that won't cause stress to my body because some stress is inevitable, like driving to school, when it should have been a two hour delay and the roads were a disaster this morning, like that was stressful and that's unavoidable stress. So I just try to choose the, um, like the optional stressors and avoid those. I'm super interested in whether or not I'm flooding my engine, if you will. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, the only way to know that is to get your hormones checked. There's other ways you can like keep an eye on how your adrenals are doing, being aware of what your body temperature is doing is also important because it's a good measure of where your metabolism is at. And if your metabolism is crashing, then probably so are your stress hormones. So, um, there's all sorts. So if your body runs hot, then what does that mean? Or if your body runs cold, what does that mean? Yeah. So if your body runs cold, usually it means your metabolism is kind of like help. It's supposed to run a little bit warmer. Okay everybody's had a stressful past two years. That's the thing is everybody's like stress levels have, you know, like peaked at weird times and, you know, like responded differently to like all life events, I feel like. So 
I don't know. I like know. now, I like, just feel like, is well, it what do anymore? I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Meditate. Like a lot of it is mindfulness. I think that now is the time to seek out the life coaches and stuff like that because they're amazing at helping with hacking your brain and mindfulness and stuff like that. Therapy is great. That works for you. It's not the right fit for everyone to make what we're living through okay because no one's having like a normal experience. I feel like in Iowa, we're very lucky because we don't have like the crazy restrictions and school shutdowns and stuff like that, that totally stress parents, especially moms, I feel like out. I don't have any family local. So any childcare disaster is always, it feels like my world is ending because I'm dramatic, but also it's just childcare is one of the hardest parts about parenting that I don't think has always been an issue because usually there's been a parent home and now a lot of families, everyone works. And then when you have sicknesses or you send your kid to school or to daycare for one day and she comes home and spreads the plague, like my toddler did at our house. And then we were all like, that took us out for two weeks of January. Yeah. And it wasn't even COVID. It was just the crud. Yeah. It was just a fever and body aches and a cough that we like, we all had a fever for a week. It was terrible. Yeah. And went down in stages. Somehow I know, it actually enrages me to think about the fact that, and my kids are not school age, so, you know, it's okay. My, my oldest is in five-year-old preschool. Cause he missed the cutoff, blah, blah. It enrages me that like my friends with school age kids, you know, went through that whole, some of them went through like a year and a half of remote learning. And then like, I don't know, that, that's just like, was never acknowledged. Like it was just like, Hey, so you're doing this thing, like, go ahead and, um, you know, yeah. talk to your boss about working from home or what have you. Right. And it just, and then everything, you know, now is, you know, back in school, but there's always like a threat, always like a threat. Yeah. It's always like lingering. I, I just don't understand how we like made that decision and why people aren't losing their minds over it. And, um, yeah, I find it appalling. Yeah. I'm very, very, very lucky that by like a weird twist of fate, we enrolled our kids in Catholic school. We're not Catholic, but it just kind of happened. And we've been in school since fall of 2020 and never have we had to quarantine. Never have we like had to shut down because of uh, exposure or anything like that. We've been so lucky. Yeah. But I mean, we did have, we had like the whole end of the school year in 2020 from March on where it was like, okay, good luck. And also show up to Zooms and also do homework. And also like, while you have like a newborn baby and a two and a half year old who was a hellion at the time, like one time during a Zoom, I was paying attention to the baby and the big kid on Zoom. And then the middle child painted the wall blue. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like if that, and that's just my house. And I only had one kid who had like two Zooms a week or whatever. But like, what about at the other houses where like all three kids would have been in school? I cannot imagine. And like our Wi-Fi didn't work for shit. No one's Wi-Fi worked. Right. Because everyone was trying to use it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a disaster. I don't know how people in California and New York are doing it, like still stuck at home. And like, what about small business owners? I, yeah, if that was the case, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. 
or I'd be patients at like 7 p.m. every night. Yeah, I feel like moms, um, wherever they are, are screaming into the abyss and everyone recognizes that there's a problem here, but there's absolutely no solution to it that's being floated. I'm honestly more afraid of like the repercussions of all of this than the actual disease what we're doing to our society and to our children and like the social aspects of being remote or like not having the facial cues of seeing each other's faces when you have masks on your face all day. Like, ugh, it's a lot. We've been super lucky with the private school thing. Like I said, my kids don't have to wear masks at school and I don't make them because I want them to like have, I'd rather them breathe in potential germs then rebreathe their own CO2 all day long. Right. Okay. But the answer to that is, well, you're being really selfish. Everyone hates everyone else for something. <laughs> like I said, I'm like, I'm non-judgmental. Like if you want to wear a mask, whatever, I'm not going to though. And I'm not going to make my kids and I'm not like an anti-masker. I'm not an anti-anything. That's where our personal limits are. And I also think moms are afraid to be the one to say they're not afraid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like we are supposed to be vulnerable in our, like, just as like a feminine as a whole, we're the more like, like historically the vulnerable ones. But I feel like that's one thing that's going to come out of this is like, I think the moms are going to fix the problem at the end of the day, because what else are we going to do? We always low key fix the problems, but it's just gonna be a bigger <laughs> deal this time. And I think we're going to be the ones that like get it organized and sorted and like, we'll come out and we'll be like, see, wasn't that bad. Just like we always have been. We're going to have to do something at some point because we can't all be sitting at home with our kids on their computers. No. Okay. Let's, let's dive back into, um, your Instagram. Um, I feel like this is extremely, extremely common and women don't know what's wrong with them. Libido. Oh, like, you know, there's probably a whole umbrella of issues that fall under this category, but, um, but what's, what's the most important one to hone in on when it comes to like wanting to feel connected to our partners? This is such a tricky question because it's like, I mean, I have the answer at the tip of my tongue. It's your partner has to be there for you too, but that's not the same for you as it is for me. It just kind of depends. And like the stage of life you're at too. Like, do you have a newborn and like you're breastfeeding in the night and then you're like doing all of the things and also you're working and then you have little kids too, that you're also taking care of. And then at the end of the day, your husband's like, Hey, you're like, Oh, gosh, I have just carved every part of me out of myself and given it to everyone else. And now you're asking for something when I'm an empty shell. Like, I think that's a huge thing for some women. I think we all want it to be like, oh, it's this hormone. And so we'll just supplement with this or give you this prescription and then it'll be fixed. And maybe for men, it's more that way. But for women, it's so much more complex than just being a hormonal imbalance. And certainly hormones play a part in our libidos. Like having low testosterone in women can totally kill your sex drive. But 
supplementing or adding testosterone in doesn't necessarily fix it because it has to be in a happy relationship with your estrogen as well. And then on top of that, your stress can't be getting in the way of everything. And then also like physically, you have to feel good. Mentally, you have to feel good. Emotionally, you have to be supported. Like it's so complex. The best book ever for understanding the female sexual drive is Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski. Have you heard of that one? No. Oh my gosh. So it starts off a little shocking. I'm not going to lie. I started off and I was like, whoa, she went there. But it is so comprehensive at describing, like, first of all, saying that there's nothing abnormal. That's my favorite part is like, whatever you're feeling, it's normal because it's such a great spectrum. Like, it's not just you feel like you want to have sex, like around your period or also when you're ovulating and then maybe you're less interested, but you still wanted it. Like it's so much more complex than that. And she kind of goes into that. You can be like a physical responder and not a mental responder, or you can be more like mentally stimulated and less physically stimulated. So interesting. Yeah. She, and she's done like so much research on the female sexual response that I just always defer to her book because it's so good. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'm a woman who has had a doctor many years ago before tell me, well, you just have to do it. Okay. I hate that. You know what I mean? Like, and I know I'm not the only one who's been told that. And it was by a woman too. The female doctor was like, well, too bad. You just got to do it. (laughs) You have to do it. Um, no, you don't just have to do it because that is actually more damaging in my opinion because then you'll come to kind of feel like the ick about it, like, and dread it. No, just do it if you want to do it. Don't do it because you feel like you should. But that's so many women just are like, well, I feel like I should. I was at a mom's group many years ago. It came up. It was kind of like one of those religious mom's groups. And it was like, well, you should be having sex with your husband. And I was like, hold up. (laughs) I was like, we are not having sex with our husband's if we're not in the mood to have sex, because that is abusive. Like that's non-consensual sex. Like we're not doing that. And then like all the moms kind of like turned on me and one was like, maybe you should talk to someone. I was like, I'm not the one with the problem here, lady. Oh my gosh. This mindset is the problem. Like this is what's holding women back. Like we need to be talking with our partners about maybe why we're not interested in having sex at this time. Like I'm going through some crazy stuff at work and the idea of having sex with you, I can't do it. Or like this kid was up coughing last night, all night long. I don't have anything in me today to give to you. Like communication is way more important than just being like, well, I'm going to be a good wife and have sex with you because it's been three days and I shouldn't let you go more than three days without having sex. Did you ever go back to that mom's group? (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. That was where we parted ways. Wow. Well, good for you for speaking up. I can't ever (laughs) not speak up. That's kind of my problem. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes I get ostracized from the mom group, but I don't regret that one. Yeah. I feel like that was not a loss in your life. No. It really wasn't. But honestly, though, I've had the conversation with friends before who have been like, well, I'm going to the doctor. It's, you know, my six week postpartum visit. 
So I know he, I know he knows I'm going to the doctor today to get cleared. Yeah. So I just, cleared. I better just get this over with. I've had that conversation before with, with friends who've said that to me. And I'm like, God, that sucks that we treat ourselves like that. I literally tell all of my postpartum clients, I'm like, so technically speaking, everything is healed. It is safe for you to have sex again, because like, why do we avoid sex for six weeks? It's because we have an open wound in our uterus that started out the size of a dinner plate and it's shrinking and shrinking. And so that's why we avoid swimming and we avoid sex because we don't want to introduce bacteria into that wound to cause a terrible infection. But also perhaps we've had a tear and that needs to heal too and become approximated. And then there's like a lot of shifting and muscular changes that need to happen as well, because we just either have an incision from a cesarean or we've pushed out a gigantic baby and it's had to stretch and that's pretty uncomfortable. Just because you technically can have sex. If you feel like you need a letter from your doctor saying that you can't have it until X amount of weeks, I will give that to you. Wow. Um, Because it's, that's what it's more of a mental thing because you know, that first time, the first time you have sex after having a baby is terrifying. The first time you poop after having a baby is terrifying. Like (laughs) a lot of first time things are terrifying after having a baby. And I've heard from multiple midwives that on average, it takes seven sexual encounters postpartum to make it feel normal again. Okay. Which is a lot that's a lot of times, especially if you have like one or two bad experiences, you're going to be a little. Sure. So, and I think talking to your partner about that too is huge, but expectations are a thing in our society. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately they are. And like I said, sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's not even the man saying it, it's our own internal voice. Oh yeah our own expectations of ourselves. Uh-huh. We're our worst enemies. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh. Um, this one's kind of a random one. Pregnancy tests and ovulation kits, brand names are. Oh, this is my a waste favorite of money. One. Yes. yes. Okay. I, as the one who bought all the first response, super splashy colored fancy boxes. <laughs> What did I do wrong? You should never pee on anything that costs more than a dollar. Okay. <laughs> You just never, ever should Um, because they're all the same. Like if you take apart your first response, early response, and probably not everyone does this, but I'm again, I'm annoying. So I peeled it apart. It's literally the same strip that's on like the dollar strip test. It's the same strip that's in the one dofos. And like, honestly, those dollar strip tests, those are the best ones. They catch it so early. Like I found out I was pregnant with my second four days before my period was due on a dollar. Yes. So that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Whereas like the error proof test, the EPT that has a lower threshold or higher threshold, I should say for HCG because it's error proof. So they don't want to accidentally give you a false negative. So those won't even show up until like a couple days after your period is due. Oh, okay. If you like, if you're, super, you know, in your two week wait, you're trying to get pregnant and you start testing too early. Everyone does it. Get the cheap tests because you're going to need to test again tomorrow. And then the next day, because I know you start at day eight, which almost no one comes up positive on day eight, because you've just like 
potentially implanted on day like between days six to nine so it's possible that you haven't even had your little embryo implant yet sure okay so yeah never pee and like the ovulation test kits you can just get the cheap ones on amazon same thing it's the same strip within all those little plastic canisters oh my gosh and those cost like 40 dollars like the ones i bought were like literally 40 dollars Did you get the fancy ones with the handle? That's like, well, that. obviously. Yeah. 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 Get like a thing of Dixie cups and get like the, the one dofo ones on Amazon are my favorite. Cause you can get like 25 for $15 or something. Dang. Okay. Well, lesson learned. Yes. Um, if you leave this earth and save women money on pregnancy tests. Like I'll have done my job. I just think that kind of how we talked about with like, we're our own worst critic, but we also can be our own heroes. And like, we can do that, like in being moms, but also like in taking care of ourselves. Like we don't have to continue to slog through every day, relying on coffee and feeling like crap. And like all the time, we don't have to be that. That's not, that doesn't have to be our normal. For you, it's different than me than the next lady. Like we each have our own crap going on, but like we can all heal ourselves. And I think that's kind of my goal is to teach women how to heal themselves. How can people find you on Instagram? Because I find your Instagram stories to be hilarious and other people need to experience them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like you're the second person that's told me that in a week. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Because I just feel like I'm a mess on Instagram. But, um, so I'm at Megan gross CNM. And then my website is Megan CNM.com. It's significantly less fun than my Instagram. I'm trying to figure out TikTok, but I feel just a little too old for it. Yeah. It feels a little out of my purview. Yeah. TikTok is hard. Gen Z really figured that stuff out really well. Like who hasn't tried a TikTok dance just for fun? Mm-hmm. And I'm a mess. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not my skill. In terms of your professional practice, you said you can see anyone within the state of Iowa, right? Yes. Cause yes. you're in Dubuque. So Iowa mm-hmm. in general is, is your. Yes. I can see anyone in the state of Iowa. We can do, and even locals can do virtual visits with me. That's the one really great thing about the pandemic is it really opened up telemedicine. So that's been awesome. And a lot of what I do is not necessarily like hands-on, like 99% of my patients keep their pants on at every appointment. Like, I think people worry about that. You know, when you go to see a woman's care provider, you're just like, oh geez, gotta get all like ladyscaped up. And that's not my appointments. It's a lot more like conversational and touchy feely and then like lab related. And I can order labs for people outside of Dubuque and okay. a lot of the labs I do are um, not necessarily blood tests. Some of them are saliva tests and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff can be like ordered and sent to my clients. All right, Megan, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your information. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and you can find me on Instagram at Denise WQAD and find the show page at On a Mother Level. 
And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.